We are finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, If you've been here, then you know that we've been studying Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is the end of of the line for Ecclesiastes. And in case you haven't been here, Ecclesiastes is the story of this guy called the preacher. You can't hear me that well. Well, it is on. We'll do this. How about now? Is it better? Can you hear me better? Yeah, it's better. It's louder. Oh, man. Thanks. So you guys didn't hear any of that sappy stuff I said a second ago. Okay. All right. Good. All right. I love all of you. Um, uh, So the book of Ecclesiastes is a story of this guy, the preacher, and he's been on this quest. He's been on a quest to find what's the key to the good life. What is the thing that if I have it will give me meaning and satisfaction in my life and give me something to, to live for? Um, some of you guys are about to graduate, and you hope that this piece of paper that you're about to get is that thing. Um, I hope it is. <laughs> it's not. Um, I studied fine art photography in college, so dreams can come true. Um, and I have a job. That's the amazing part. Um, anyway, so we've come to the end of the preacher's quest here. And this last section in Ecclesiastes 9, 9 through uh, Ecclesiastes 12 9 through 14, which is in your handout if you have it. If you need a Bible, they're on the back table. You can just take one. This is kind of like the mom or dad that has, has read the bedtime story with, the, with their kids. And they're, they're sort of tucking their kids in and saying, Okay, now, my dear little one, here is what you need to remember. Here is the moral. Here is what I want you to walk away remembering from this story. And it's a little bit unusual. So let's uh, read the last words here of Ecclesiastes And know what we're supposed to remember from this book. Listen, this is God's word. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The last words of the preacher. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we're grateful um, for this servant of yours who has searched high and low for the good life. And at the end has discovered that the only thing that lasts, the only thing that satisfies, the only thing that gives meaning is to fear you. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us tonight through your word. That you would show us what it looks like to fear you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Move this thing up just a little bit more. Uh, there, a lot of people have weird um, fears. Okay, I don't know what you're Natalie Beardsley told me she's afraid of sharks, okay, which is a legit, legitimate fear because they can eat you. Um, uh, I, for my whole childhood, was terrified, like nightmares almost every night, about the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride. At Walt Disney World. Not the story or the book or the movie, The Ride. Um, 
I never rode the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride. I have since watched YouTube videos that, that shook me to my core um, of this little submarine ride that goes along. I don't know. It, it really, like, nightmare. I mean, up until adulthood, like, Sarah Jane and I were, were married, and I was still having nightmares about the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride. Um, they've since filled it in and put, like, some kind of Winnie the Pooh tree attraction on top. So, which is, I feel good about it, but I also feel like I'll never be able to conquer that fear, and that's hard. Um, I'm, I'm just afraid of dark water and water things. Like, if you're with me at summer conference, like, and we're walking on the beach and it's nighttime, and you're a guy, um, then uh, uh, I will be very far from the water, because the whole idea just kind of freaks me out. Uh, dark water, like, the ocean scares people that have control issues, Right? because you can't control the ocean. Um, my daughter is as afraid as I was of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride of skunks. Um, and, like, we were at Grandfather Mountain on Saturday, and I was, like, she was, like, looking at all these, like, stuffed things, like bears, and, like, like really, like, terrifying things, like bears and, like, eagles. And, and I was, like, look at this skunk, and she was just, like, so she just backed away from the skunk. Um, because my mother-in-law one time came to town and was talking about that she, there was a skunk in their yard. And so Georgia, she's four, she said, she's like, well, what's a skunk? And my mother-in-law told her, it's, a, it's, it's just a creature, okay? And in her mind, the category for creature is, there's an M83 album cover that has a really it's like scary-looking like monster on it. And she saw it on Pandora one time, and she said, what's that? And so we said, that's a, that's a creature. And so my mother-in-law says, this is a creature. She says, well, what, does it look, what is it like? She said, oh, it's got black fur. And she's like, okay. And she said, well, she said, are they only in Pennsylvania where she lives? She's like, oh, no, they're everywhere. Uh, and she's like, well, I haven't seen one. She's like, oh, they, they usually only come out at night. And uh, so now whenever I put Georgia down for bed, I have to close the blind, and she goes, can the skunks still see me? Um, she is terrified of skunks. And so, we, we come, she, you know, she's racked with fear about skunks. We come to the end of this book, and the preacher has looked at everything. He's looked at wealth, he's looked at prestige, at work, at wisdom, at pleasure, at sex, alcohol. All these things and said, can they give me pleasure? Can they give me satisfaction, lasting satisfaction? And at the, at the end, he says, this is all that's left. This is the key to the good life. Fear God. And is he telling us to be afraid of God? Like that. Like the way that she's afraid of a skunk. And if not, what is he, what is he trying to teach us? So if there's, there's an outline on your handout. Um, the fear of God does three things. Uh, for us, it, it confronts us, it comforts us, and it centers us. So the fear of God confronts us. So if you look, if you look in your passage there on your handout, I have it here. I'll just put it here so I'll know where we are. Um, and look at the very end of your passage. He says, "Fear God and keep His commandments." Why? Because God is going to bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good. Or evil. We're being told to fear God because God is going to judge us. Okay? God is going to take everything we've done, every secret, secret thing, the quiet things that no one ever knows, the, all of our thoughts, 
every hidden thing, everything you've muttered under your breath, and he's going to judge it. And nothing is going to be hidden from him. Nothing that you've done or said can be hidden, hidden from him. And this isn't just like a, a way to scare you. This isn't like a fire and brimstone thing. This is merely an acknowledgement that for a time, God has allowed the pain and oppression and injustice and corruption that we have brought on the earth into his perfect world. He's allowed that for a time. And has even used it in some ways for good. But that time is coming to an end. He's going to put everything right. He's going to bring justice in the world. He is going to judge everything. And if we'll let it be, that's really good news. One of my favorite things about Appalachian is that so many of you are so passionate about justice issues. Okay, And... It gives me a lot of joy to see that happening because God loves justice. He's actually more committed to bringing justice on the world than we are. He is all about bringing justice in the world. So Ecclesiastes is merely recognizing the fact that one day there's going to be a reckoning. That everything that's happened, every person that's been oppressed, God is going to judge that. And ultimately, we'll all be held accountable for the things that we've done. And all the sins that have ever been committed, not just the ones that we don't like, God is going to judge. Here's the thing. God is perfect. Okay? This is just part of who he is. He is a perfect being. So his justice and his judgment are perfect. Um, And that means that there will be nothing glossed over. Tim Keller says that he won't wink at any lies. Okay? Even the smallest thing, God will not pass it over. Uh, this morning, uh, I felt bad, but it was kind of funny to watch it. Uh, a girl was getting a ticket, and I hope it was none of you, um, in front of the Parthenon this morning when I was on my way into my office. And uh, it was a great scene, though, because it, was a, it wasn't just like a police officer. It was a state trooper. And, like, when a state trooper pulls you over and they start writing a ticket, I mean, it's over. Like, they're not going to change their mind. And um, just FYI. And so he's, like, totally, he's like a statue, stone-faced, and he's writing. He's got the hat and everything. And she was just losing it. I mean, she is like just gesturing wildly. She was crying. And she was just doing everything she could to get out of this, this ticket, right? And sometimes, you know, a police officer will let you out of a ticket. But, you know, she had broken the law. Whatever it was, she's speeding or ran a red light or whatever. If he had not written her a ticket, it would have in some sense been a miscarriage of justice, right? We like it, but justice doesn't happen. This week, or just yesterday, I guess it was, I went to like do an expense report on my credit card. And had literally thousands of dollars of fraudulent charges. I was like, wait a second. I haven't been to literally spent $800 at Mercedes-Benz of Beverly Hills. Um, I don't know how you would even spend only $800 at a Mercedes-Benz dealership. But I was like, it was like $200 from Ulta. And I don't even get my makeup from Ulta. And so, um, so, I, so I called the bank. I called up the bank and... You know, they took care of it. They took all the, the charges off because they obviously weren't mine. And so just imagine how it would feel like if that was you and you called them up. You're like, I have like, literally $2,500 in fraudulent charges. And they're like, okay, we took care of the big ones. But, you know, some of these are only like $40. And we don't want to be extreme about it. So we're not going to take those off. We're just going to leave those on. Like, that's not okay. Right? Because I still have to pay for that. Right? 
um, that would not be just. And if God is going to make the world perfect again, a place that's ultimately good uh, and fully good, then all evil must be vanquished from the world. Okay? And that means even the evil in our own heart. So a song that we sing a lot based on the 130th song called From the Depths of Woe says, if thou iniquity dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, oh, who shall stand before thee? Right? I think we all have a sense that if we had to stand before God, um, we would have a lot of fear if we were, if we were uncovered. Um, and it makes us take an honest evaluation of ourselves. So in a sense, God's going to judge us. That gives us cause for fear and for self-evaluation. Okay? Um, I was reminded of this. I was listening to This American Life, and uh, there was a story. Did you guys hear this? It was like Eric and Charlotte Kaufman, that they had been on a sailboat with like their three-year-old and their one-year-old. This was, this was news. Liz, thank you. And uh, I see that hand. Um, uh, thank you, Blair. Um, uh, they, they went sailing. They had a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and their one-year-old got really sick, and their satellite phone broke, and their radio broke. And they were in, like, these crazy waves. They were, like, sailing around the world. They said that, like, whenever a wave hit the boat, it was like a car crash. Like, they went up. So the, um, the mast, is that what it's called, the part that goes along the bottom of the sail? What's that part called? The boom, thank you. The boom went over into the water. And apparently that's really bad because when the boom goes in the water, when it pulls back up, it creates huge force. Anyway, it cracked the boat. Okay, the boat's pulling. They're, like, literally in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And, um, and at that moment... Unless they are rescued, the ocean is going to win. Okay? The immensity of the thing. They are literally powerless to do anything about it. And when we come before God and we recognize that we are not perfect and there, that there are issues of sin in our heart, we're not going to win against that immense of a force, of a perfect justice, of a just God. So in a sense, we are afraid like, there's reason to be afraid. I don't want us to just skip over the fact that that should make us afraid. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us in that kind of fear. That's not what the Bible means when it says that we should fear God. Because fear of God confronts, but also comforts us. That's the second point there on your handout. Look on the, on the passage, verse 11 there. The words of the wise are like goads. It's a weird word. Um, a goad was a long, pointy stick. Okay. Um, all right, next point. Uh, a, a goad is a long, pointy stick. So if you were driving a team of oxen um, and they, they were plowing up a field, maybe you use this pointy stick to keep them going the way that you wanted them to go, right? If they started getting out of line, you, you, know, you poked them, and they went back to where they were going. So these words are like things that keep us going the right way, that keep us on track. But what I really is really interesting, he says, they are given by one shepherd. These words from God are not just words from a judge. They're words from a shepherd. Um, our God is a shepherd. Now Solomon, who is the person that most likely wrote this book, he knew what shepherds were like because his father was David, and David was a shepherd. Okay? David's the one that wrote about God being a shepherd in Psalm 23. Um, but we actually know better than Solomon what God means when he calls himself a shepherd. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that he is a shepherd. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I came that they, my sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. He says he knows them. They know him. And that if one of his sheep goes astray, he goes and finds it. Whatever cost to himself, he goes, he finds it, he rescues it, he places it on his shoulder, he brings it back to health and happiness and safety. For the judge, so, so Jesus is the shepherd. Um, Jesus is the rescue that we have from the inevitability of being wiped away by God's judgment. Because what Jesus does, he says, that sin is in your heart. God is going to destroy that sin because he needs to make his world beautiful and perfect again. If he destroys that sin, he's going to wipe you out. So Jesus takes that sin and places it on himself. And then he gives us everything he has that's good and perfect and beautiful so that we can be spared from that. Because look, we fear God, we're afraid of him in the sense of being judged. But when we know that Jesus will accept us, it changes our fear a bit because look, my children are terrified of thunderstorms. Okay, when it's storm- some of you guys might be afraid of thunderstorms. I heard Jana say, mm, so she's afraid of thunderstorms. Um, they're terrified of thunderstorms, okay? And a thunderstorm is an amazing, powerful thing that you cannot control. Okay, I'm afraid of the ocean. Okay, the ocean is an amazing, huge, awful, immense, powerful thing. And yes, they're beautiful and huge and out of our control. Okay. And in that sense, they tell us something about God. Because God is beautiful and immense and not, we cannot control him. He's not a person that we can control. But our fears don't draw near to us like a shepherd. Our fears don't know our name and promise to care for us and rescue us and bring us to health. And Jesus, the good shepherd and the judge of the world, promises to rescue us, to care for us, to know our name, and and to rescue us from God's just wrath. He makes that promise for us because the judge is a shepherd and the shepherd is a judge. Because Jesus says in John chapter 5, God the Father doesn't judge anyone. He's given all judgment to the Son. And the one that's coming in judgment is that shepherd who's good and true. And so it's inevitable that if we fear God, and that's his character, that we won't be afraid, we won't serve him in fear, we won't run away from him, that we'll hold him in awe and wonder, um, that we'll see him in reverence and find him amazing, more amazing than anything else. And that means that we will... Keep his commandments. If you, if you look in verse 13, he says, look, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. All that means is that if Jesus is your shepherd and he shows you a way to go, that you follow it. Because he's good. And he's leading you to a green pasture. He's leading you to a cool, still water. And he shepherds us away from futility and vanity. And brings us into rest. Um, and I, what is it? Because I don't know. What is it that keeps you from obeying God? I mean, it could be a, a thousand different ways. I mean, think about it. I, 
There's, there's, there are at least a dozen ways that any of us can come up with right now. Maybe you're just like, this whole thing, I'm not sure about it. I'm just keeping this Jesus thing to the side. I'm showing up, but I'm just not really ready to step over there. Or maybe there's some area in your life where you're just like, I'm just not willing to obey God here. Um, why is that? Um, I don't know why we always do that, but I do know this. That where Jesus wants to take us is better and truer and more satisfying than the vanity that we, that we chase on our own. I mean, there's nothing, not pleasure or wealth or your degree or superficial religious practice or youth, nothing that's substantial enough for you to give your life to but fearing God and knowing Jesus. And our last point there is that the fear of God centers us. It's that thing that can be that center point. And this isn't even really so much a point as much as it is a final word. Um, everything that the preacher explored turned out to be vanity, okay? If you were here each week, we walked through them one by one. At the end of it, he said, it's vanity. It's a vapor. It's a mist. You're seeking pleasure because you think that's going to fulfill you. And when you get it, it's going to be gone. You'll be, you'll be grasping for it. And when you wake up in the morning and you're in that strange bed, you'll be grasping for something that's not there when your head is pounding. Or when you get all A's forever and then you graduate and you can't get a job. Or no one asks you what your GPA was. It's just not going to fulfill you. It's going to be a vapor. You're going to be the person that's out on Sanford Mall, like I said before, with a mason jar trying to catch the wind. And it's not going to be there. It's impossible. And if you want to keep asking the questions that he's asking, there's no end to it. In verse 12, he says, look, of making many books, there's no end, and much, weariness, much study is a weariness of the flesh. Um, some of you guys love the question, but there's a solid answer in this passage that you're afraid of. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, he talks about heaven. And there's this one guy that's really poignant. He's the guy that likes to debate and learn, okay? And he's come up from hell. It's like a day trip from hell to visit heaven, what heaven's like. And one of these guys in heaven who's shining and bright, he goes to him and he's talking to him. And he's saying, oh, in there, there, there will be all kinds of debate, right? And open-mindedness and all this. And the guy from heaven says, no, there's no questions here. There's only answers. But come in. Come, take the answer. And the guy ends up leaving. He's angry. No, I must be able to have an open mind and an open heart. There should be open inquiry. And he leaves to go back to a discussion group that he's late for in hell. Because he doesn't want the answers. Fearing God, which means knowing him, knowing his immensity, and giving our lives to him completely as an act of worship, is the purpose of living. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, when you open your mind, it's like opening your mouth. It's meant to close on something solid. And this is it. When he writes in verse 13, he says, for this is the whole duty of man. In Hebrew, it doesn't even say this is the whole duty of man. It says, this is the whole of man. Your whole purpose is to know God. That is the meaning of life. And to fear and obey him. And whether you're graduating or wrapping up your first semester, what will be the center of your life from this point on? Praise God 
who through Jesus delivers us from vanity. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you um, that you are not um, that you are not going to leave us without a way of escape. Thank you, Jesus, that you said whoever trusts you will not see judgment, but will have everlasting life. Um, We ask a lot of questions, Lord. Would you give us the courage to trust you for the answers? I thank you for these friends. I thank you for the privilege of knowing them. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you want to be known by them. Lord, would you bless them as they go from this place, as they finish their finals? Would you help them to do their work unto you? And Lord, as they leave this place, would you give them a sense of your presence, of your smile, of your acceptance, and of your purpose, Lord. Would we fear you all the days of our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.